Welcome to Episode 5 of the Dystopian Academy Podcast, discussing the Dystopian Wars game by War Cradle. My name is David Boren. If you have any questions, feedback, or an idea you'd like me to talk about in a future episode, you can contact me on Facebook in the Sturginium Lounge Facebook group, which is the central place to discuss the game online. Now, there are also some changes to how the battle fleets work, and I want to go over that. Each faction has a basic plain battle fleet. I'm going to use Commonwealth as the example here. So there it says, you must include one flagship with the Commonwealth trait. You may include up to a further four units with the Commonwealth trait. You may not include more than one of any unit. So this is pretty much the way that, that it's been. And your bonus, if you conform to these rules, is you get a free command reroll. Now, the part that's new is the you may not include more than one of any unit. I think this is intended to kind of cut back on spam, people trying to field a whole bunch of the same unit, you know, thinking that this kind of ship is the most efficient, so therefore I'm going to run nothing but that, which is not interesting or fun to play against, in my opinion. Now, if you take a themed list, you have to meet some additional restrictions, but you can get additional bonuses and also freedom to take a, a little bit more of some different classes. So if we look at, for example, the Moseski battle fleet, you must include one flagship unit with the Moseski class trait. You must include a Rurik or Pravda unit. This kind of restriction seems to be common to all the battle fleets. There's either one kind of unit that you have to take or sometimes a choice of two different units, and you can take either one. You may include up to a further three units with the Russian trait, and you may not include more than two of any unit except Rurik or Pravda classes. So where the base battle fleet gives you one of a unit, you can take two in here, and if it's Ruriks or Pravdas, you can take more than two. How much more? Well, it says up to three further units, so it would be three in this case. So by using the Moseski and Ruriks or Pravdas, you've already earned the command reroll, and you've already earned the opportunity to take two of the same unit. Now, each theme battle fleet typically also has a bigger bonus that you can get if you can meet another criteria. In this case... Provided the battle fleet includes a maximum size Rurik or Pravda unit, Pravda class units do not have their SRS capacity reduced when crippled. So this is a buff to your Pravdas. I assume normally you'd want to take the maximum size Pravda unit, but you could also take max Ruriks and a small Pravda unit, you know, maybe two ships. If you look at other themed battle fleets, they all seem to follow a fairly similar layout. Something you're required to take some sort of restriction, and then if you take a max size unit of the type specified, then you get an additional bonus. So it makes it fairly easy to qualify for the base level, and then if you theme it a little bit more, then you get the perk. And what I would assume is going to happen is that we'll see more and more of these different battle fleets come out over time as there's more ships available. Okay, let's start taking a look at the factions. I'm going to do this from newest factions to oldest, so we're starting with the Sultanate. Ships for the Sultanate include the Anatolia Battlecruiser, 
the Kanuni Fleet Carrier, the Corollas Heavy Destroyer, the Hashashin Fast Destroyer, the Iskander Cruiser, and the Tamir Frigate. So it's actually got a little bit more in there than the mini Orbats of the past. They seem to be a tricky and unpredictable faction, with a Mirage Generator that lets a ship teleport 5 inches as a special operation, and also Portal Generators. So if you place a portal on the table, any models that you have in reserve can enter through one of your portals rather than from the board edge. This gives them the ability to really do some interesting ambushes. Their weaponry is kind of a mix of conventional weapons and the etheric lance and particle beamer from the Enlightened. So they do seem to have access to a little bit of advanced technology there. Some of their faction rules include linear dash, that's an extra two inches if you don't turn, agile, allowing you to turn during your drift movement, armored decking, which is durability against aerial weapons, and aura calcite construction, which provides excellent protection against critical damage. It cancels one critical damage die per attack while the ship is battle ready. So far, this rule seems to be on most of their size two and up ships. Next up, let's look at the Latin Alliance. For those of you who plan to go all in on heat lances, they now have the Solex Generator, which comes free on your Oriflam and gives a plus one speed boost as well as granting sustained to friendly heat lances or lancets within five inches. It's not a lot of range, so you got to keep close, but it gives you a lot of punch with it. The French were already designed to group around their flagships for the ADV and SDV bonuses, so you shouldn't have to change your tactics too much to get this bonus as well. Just pull it in a little bit tighter since the other one was a 10-inch range. Sustained is pretty strong, so I'm really looking forward to trying this, and I was already a fan of the Heat Lances. The Oriflam also got a bump to its Citadel rating and its speed rating while crippled. The Coron was upgraded to heavy broadsides, and some other fleet carriers got that as well. And they gained combat air patrol and launch catapults, so they can start with a long range on their card, and they get 23 inches for placing their tokens. War Cradle has also added stats for the first round of Italian ships, the Minerva Assault Carrier and Mars Heavy Battleship. The Minerva is a little cheaper and a little more durable than the Coron, but has only 5 SRS instead of 8, and gets advanced repair facilities. Honestly, the Coron seems much more attractive to me, but I guess this is only a first draft of the ship, so we'll see how it may change. The Mars, on the other hand, looks like a total beast, with Citadel 14, 13 total hull, 3 front-facing turrets, and also has advanced repair facilities. So I'm guessing that's probably going to be a common Italian theme. The Ecolier Frigate went up 1 point per ship, and the Chevalier Cruiser went down 5 points. So looking next at the Crown, their heavy battleship dropped 5 points and got Elite Crew, but the battle-ready ADV went down a point. Overall, a very small buff, perhaps? Not really too big a deal. They also got the first size 2 flagship in the game, the Sabre Command Cruiser. So if you've been looking to field more battle fleets and not put as many points into the flagships themselves, this is it. There's even a named trio of sabers you can field as a flagship unit. And if you're going to take three sabers, 
you might as well upgrade to the named unit because they cost the same points and you get Maritime Patrol for free. This is an ability that lets you hit submerged models more easily if there's SRS nearby. The Victory Supercarrier has dropped 15 points, gotten heavy broadsides, better arcs for its heavy rocket batteries, and it gets Combat Air Patrol. It also gets a Crown-specific ability, Tally Ho, which lets their SRS scramble 10 inches instead of 5 inches and re-roll blanks when making an interception. This sounds like it's going to be very interesting to play and give them more ability to double dip on the same SRS using it for defense and then scrambling 10 inches for an offensive strike. They also now have a named HMH Arc Royal version of the carrier that gets inspirational and runs heavy gun batteries instead of heavy rocket batteries. But since it's 40 points more, I'm not sure that's really worth it. Notable among their other new models is the Agincourt Bombardment Cruiser, which has a choice of four different upgraded ammo types. That's an amazing amount of flexibility for you to pick what kind of uh, shot you want to use. The other new models, which are more or less more conventional, are the Bedivere Monitor, the Excalibur Heavy Destroyer, the Hotspur Support Carrier, Lancelot Heavy Cruiser, the Picton Light Cruiser, and the Morgana Assault Submarine. So, tons of new models to try out for you Crown enthusiasts. Moving on to the Union. The Union has a new special rule, Simper Fortis. Let me go ahead and just read this to you. Union commanders are trained to take advantage of evolving situations. After playing a Valor effect, roll an attack die. On an exploding hit, do not discard the card and instead return it to your hand. So every time you play a Valor, you have a 1 in 6 chance that you get it back and you can play it again sometime. Maybe even play it again immediately, depending on what it does. This sounds uh, like a pretty attractive ability to me. It's going to favor people naturally that want an aggressive play style where they're playing more Valor cards and less Victory cards. The Akron Observers also gain a very small rocket weapon of their own, making them perhaps slightly more attractive. And there is a new Constitution Battlefleet bonus where Yorktowns do not gain disorder from the Give Em Hell ability, effectively giving them devastating pretty much for free as long as you're willing to use a special operation. And also, Give Em Hell can now be used on fusillade weapons instead of just gunnery weapons. So basically, your broadsides can do it too. We see two new named Constitution variants. The USS Mexico has a heavy electrocannon battery in all three turrets and a Tesla Houston arc generator. And finally, Temperamental Design is a high-tech ship. The generator gives you plus two inches of speed and a 13-die attack with arc and devastating, but you get plus one disorder for using it. So there is a little bit of a penalty. Since you're talking about a mass three ship, you're going to get three dice to repair. So if you don't have critical effects or other disorder, you can pretty much disregard that. With three dice, you're probably going to take it off. The other one is the USS Texas, which is a more conventional ship. It gets inspirational and focused gunnery, which encourages you to direct all your guns at one target. The Enterprise Heavy Carrier dropped 25 points. It's got Combat Air Patrol and Launch Catapults. 
New ships include the Defiant Destroyer, the Discovery Art Cruiser, with the same experimental weapon as the Mexico, the Intrepid Light Cruiser, Lexington Heavy Cruiser, Montgomery Support Ship, which is uh, repair-oriented, the Roanoke Strike Carrier, Valiant Fast Destroyer, the Washington Missile Cruiser, and finally the RC-52 Support Automata, which is a roughly destroyer-sized flying robot armed with dual naval electrocannons, a shield generator, and the sharpshooter rule, which gives minus two citadel to targets, kind of like a railgun. It doesn't look very much like the old uh, John Henry robot from the original game, and maybe smaller than that. I'm not really sure about the visual styling. It's very sleek and a bit feminine looking, and also doesn't seem to have knees. So maybe that means that it just flies all the time and doesn't need them. I think it's going to be one of those models that you either, you know, you're hot or cold on it. So moving along here, the Empire has four new battle fleets based on the Ninjing, where the Ninjing and Jian units gain devastating on their Huokyangs. The Yangtze, where you can get another extra command reroll. So that would be two of them. There's a theme based on the Tianlong, that's their dragon robot. It allows you to replace the, the Tianlong's heavy gun battery with an interphase generator for free, taking away a lot of its offensive punch for making it more durable. And one based on the Japanese Congo. This gives the Congo devastating on its heavy gun batteries. It's interesting that they don't have any specific carrier battle group yet, but I'm sure one must be coming in the future. The interphase generator has been updated to only work on battle-ready models, and it's somewhat weaker. It reduces heavy hits down to a single hit instead of two. Both piercing and arc weapons ignore this hit reduction, where before it was only rail. It also clarifies that you're only mass one for the purpose of gunnery and line of sight, so you don't die to a critical. With a nerf and a 20-point cost increase, I'm not sure if this is still going to be a popular option. If you do want one, the best way to get it is probably the named ship called the Qi Yang. It's a, a Ninjing with a rear interface, elite crew, and vanguard for 8 points less than adding an interface to a basic Ninjing. The Yangtze gets a new rule, Spotter. This gives sustained to bombard attacks against enemies that are within 3 inches of your SRS token. So you'll put the SRS on the ship you're going to bombard or the ship right next to it kind of thing. The Hachiman Assault Carrier gets Elite Crew and Combat Air Patrol and also a discount. The new models include the Gong Destroyer, the Hokkaido Heavy Cruiser, the Honshu Light Cruiser, Ishikawa Strike Cruiser, Kanagawa Monitor, the Kyoto Frigate, Miyagi Scout Carrier, Okinawa Recon Cruiser, the Osaka Cruiser, and the Tianlong Draconic Colossus, the heavy robot model we talked about earlier. Also notable is that the Meru Heavy Cruiser has been upgraded to heavy broadsides. Now, I know not everyone out there is good at recognizing the difference between Chinese and Japanese names, but those are mostly Japanese ships. So, so we can expect uh, some Japanese battle fleet and unit boxes to come down the line at some point in the future. 
Next up, we're going to look at the Imperium. So the Imperium's inductorium rule has been completely changed. It used to allow you to store extra exploding hits that you didn't need and use them on another attack from the same unit. So what the new version now does, if you get more exploding hits than you have models in the attacking unit, then you get bonus attack dice equal to the size of your unit. So what that means is that big units of frigates are going to get more bonus than small units of cruisers or flagships. On the other hand, they have to get more exploding hits to do it, so it may happen less frequently. I don't really understand why this change is made. Maybe they felt the original version was slowing the game down too much because the decisions were not very clear a lot of the time when you should store your exploding hits and when you should use them. That's my best guess. Anyway, they have a nice assortment of new battle fleet bonuses to choose from. The Elector bonus allows your Elector to use modular configuration for free. This is a, an ability that lets you swap your Bombard and your heavy bolt gun turret arcs you know, from front to back. So a common complaint about the Elector and some of the other Imperium flagships was that the weapons were put in unusual arcs or not the way that you wanted to run it. So this gives you a way to customize the ship and take care of that. The Templehof battle fleet gets Lightning Raid. So this is a free SRS attack at the beginning of the game. And also, your SRS does not go down when you're crippled. There's another theme for the Ice Maiden. Once again, it gets the Lightning Raid, and also more extra command rerolls. Then there's finally the Line Breaker theme, where your Kaiser or Ragnarok flagship gains sustained on its heavy volt gun batteries. So the Elector, in addition to having a way to uh, switch its weapons around, also gains Spotter. Brandenburg gains Spotter too, and really virtually all of them. Turpitz gains Spotter, you know, so on. Uh, Turpitz also gets Inspirational and Maritime Patrol. Keep in mind that Combat Air Patrol does not apply to the Blitzen. It only applies to normal SRS. So if you are using the Blitzen, you do not get to start with them on a long-range sortie on your card. So new ships include the Hockmeister Vitruvian Colossus. This is one of their giant robots. It's armed with a, a big Zweihander sword and two heavy Volt gun batteries, and also the Metzger Vitruvian Colossus, which comes with a claw and a bigger version of the Flakvierling. So it's putting out a lot of shots with that. So moving along, we come to the Commonwealth. They've had a lot of small tweaks in their Orbat. So first, railguns have been changed again. They still have the minus two Citadel, but they've lost the minus one armor, meaning that they're frequently going to be doing one less hull damage than they were before, particularly against cruisers who just happen to have their armor in about the right range. They also added some kind of flavoring where railguns get an extra die against aerial targets, but minus one die against submerged targets. I'm pretty much generally in favor of anything that gives weapons more specific flavor, so it makes the factions feel more different. And it's kind of a net wash between the two. There's a new faction rule called Cryocomata, which lets your SRS attacks reroll blanks. So this improves all the Commonwealth carriers. And their cryo generators have gained an attack mode. So 
Previously, the cryo generators have not been very impressive. It's very hard to get anything useful out of them in a game. So in the new version, you can either roll to create an iceberg, and the range is improved, by the way, or you can roll an 8-die attack, which goes out to 20 inches and has blast, hazardous, and devastating. Blast, which we know we mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode, is a template attack, so this can serve as a good anti-frigate weapon where high attack dice is not all that important. So there's four new Battlefleet bonuses here. I mean, some of those rewrite the old ones, but there are four. The Borodino is pretty similar. You get a plus three hammer sweep bonus instead of plus two, same as the old one, and that remains unimpressive. The Moseski theme buffs your Pravda support carriers so that they do not lose SRS when they become crippled, and most importantly, you no longer need to take eight Ekrano plans to unlock it. This looks like a, an interesting theme for somebody who wants to run a carrier-heavy fleet, and uh, I'd like to try that out sometime. The Icebreaker Battle Fleet is themed for your Katangas and Moroscos, and lets you re-roll your cryogenerator roll to create an iceberg if you're using it in that mode. It does not do anything if you're using it as a weapon. And then finally, there's the Caspian Battle Fleet, which is themed around Ekronoplons and the Cineus Fast Cruiser. This grants high velocity to both your rocket batteries and heavy rocket batteries for those models. The Borodino has gone up a little bit in cost and had the arc reduced on two of its turrets. Now, in return for these nerfs, it's been upgraded to have heavy torpedoes and gets sustained on its cryogenic blasts. And the same thing applies to the Paxitov, which is the named Borodino variant. The Moseski gets uh, combat air patrol, like all the fleet carriers, cryo comet, and also an upgrade to heavy broadsides, which I, I think it can really use. Now, the Murmansk has been criticized for being too unreliable to show up on the field, so now it can re-roll its reserve roll, giving you a better chance of it arriving when you need it. And if this is still not reliable enough, you can also skip the roll and arrive with 100% chance for the cost of taking one damage, one disorder, and a reactor leak. Now, my thought on this is that since the ship has advanced repair facilities, if you show up very late in the turn where you're not going to be taking damage, you can probably expect to repair the disorder and the leak. And really, the net cost is just going to be the one damage. But not always. It's just going to depend on the situation. And then we also have two more mobile strongholds added. The Tobolsk has a cryogenerator and five SRS instead of having the shield repairs and logistical support. Now, because logistical support only works after the model's on the table, if you were planning to keep your stronghold off for a little bit, this might be a preferable version. And then we have the Anastasia, which is a Black Wolf-themed version of the Murmansk, which has four tri-railguns for its weaponry. In addition, for Black Wolf fans, we have the Deathbringer flagship submarine, which packs three heavy torpedoes, two rocket batteries, a heavy prow ram, and an optional 10-point upgrade unexpected arrival, which works the same way as it does on the mobile strongholds. So your submarine can be in reserve and then suddenly pop up anywhere on the table. 
New models for the Commonwealth include the Akula Grand Submarine. This is the non-unique and significantly weaker version of the Deathbringer. It is not a flagship the way the Deathbringer is. The Kazakh Attack Submarine and the Piranha Hunter Submarine. So, so clearly there's a very big submarine emphasis going on, and you should definitely expect to get some sort of all-submarine box coming out in the future. So the Pravda support carrier was upgraded with combat air patrol and cryocomata, just like the bigger Moseski. The Stolotov Akronoplan got buffed. It has a six-point reduction, an extra point of hull in its battle-ready state, and spotter, which makes the rockets better if you have SRS tokens within three inches of the target. Now a note about the hull, it's getting one extra point of hull, but the cruisers that it's often compared to in terms of cost all got plus two hull. So I'm still not sure if that's going to be sufficient, but we're going to see. Caspian overthrusters was also improved. You only need to move 10 inches instead of 13 to trigger, which means now that you can turn while using it. And the bonus was changed to grant obscured and extreme range instead of high velocity. Remember that high velocity is now a battle fleet bonus with the Caspian battle fleet. Obscured seems like that's going to help with the poor durability somewhat. I'm not sure about extreme range on a model that wants to keep moving fast all the time. You're, you're going to be able to get in range of stuff, and you don't turn fast enough to use your speed to stay on the fringes and still keep turning towards targets you know, in the middle. So I don't know about that, but it might be useful if you're playing a really big game and you're on a 4x6 table, something like that. And then finally, there are no stats, but there are pics of the Commonwealth Giant Robot. It's got a drill arm, kind of like a Big Daddy from Bioshock, a cryogenerator head, and for some reason, a raised Velociraptor-style middle claw on each foot. It looks like there are some small rocket batteries on its shoulders, but with the claws and the drill, I think it's probably mostly a melee threat. Now, on the back of the model, there are some things on its back that look like they could be jump jets, and I'm thinking that the Velociraptor foot claws would make really nice death-from-above weapons for you old Battletech fans. You know, maybe the robot leaps up in the air and comes crashing down and then rips you with this claw. We'll find out if I'm right on that. I think it would be a really cool theme. And finally, that brings us to the Enlightened. First, Enlightened Science now gives you a Sturgenium Flare instead of a Disorder when you use it to avoid a generator shutdown, and is also now limited to repairing one point of damage per turn. Second, they have a new special rule, Luminiferous Defense, which allows a unit to use their ADV against gunnery attacks. This is potentially a pretty good buff, and Enlightened tend to have better than average ADV values as well. Next, there's Fearless Fighters, where regular SRS tokens, not whales, used to protect friendly models grant plus 2 ADV rather than plus 1 ADV as normal. With both this and Luminiferous Defense, it seems like the Enlightened are shifting in a defensive direction. Finally, Wave Lurker has been almost completely reworded. You can't do it anymore if you're at the Chaos and Disarray level of Disorder, which I think makes sense. It also gives you a minus two speed now, and most importantly, you can only do it every other turn which I feel helps a lot with the issue where Enlightened could be immune to rockets 
and other aerial attacks, making them incredibly good against Empire or just anyone that was running a rocket-heavy force. While wave lurking, your ADV is reduced to 1, and you can't use generators, which is more strict than the old version, which only forbid shield generators. It's also worth noting that if you get a navigation lock or chaos and disarray, this will actually knock you out of wave lurking status now. So overall, the ability has been weakened, but I think it's logical and for the good of the game that you can't just be underwater all the time with no drawbacks. It's still a very useful tool, but you'll need to decide when you want to use it. There are also some brand new special rules. The Calamachus Chrono Lathe can be used to remove a point of damage to any battle-ready model within 15 inches, which is an amazingly flexible repair capability. Alternately, it can be used to deploy a reserve unit within 3 inches of the model using it. A model teleported in gains the hazard condition, but can activate normally, and you can't use the Chrono Lathe while wave lurking. The Diophantus Chaos Orb also has two abilities to choose from. First, you can draw three cards and choose one to keep, discarding the others. Or you can use it as a heavy particle cannon with a 360-degree arc. Again, you can't use it while wave lurking. A gun, of course, is a gun, but fishing for more cards seems very solid when you need a particular bonus or want to make sure you can win initiative next turn. Moving along to new ships. First up is the Archimedes Vault ship. This is basically a fleet carrier for the Enlightened. It only has 6 SRS compared with 8 on most other fleet carriers, but it's much more heavily armed and has a ton of special abilities. You also have the option to replace its SRS with a Chrono Lathe if you want. The Schneider is a named Vault ship, sporting a Chaos Orb and some unique weapons with 4 Molecular Disharmonizers, but no SRS. The Molecular Disharmonizer has a very low attack dice for the first shot, but each linking weapon contributes a much higher than normal amount of dice, up to 10 attack dice at point-blank range. The Descartes and Oedipus have both gained Cloud Hunting, which gives you plus 2 dice attacking aerial models, and Surgical Harbor, which can help recover your used whales within 10 inches to provide extra defense. The Hypatia and Prometheus have both gained Generator Ship, which means that any friendly ships within 5 inches gain the effect of whatever generators they have. This seems pretty powerful, but will require you to keep your ships in a tight formation to benefit. New smaller ship classes include the Belgica, a named version of the Antarctica Superiority Cruiser, the Quitos Assault Machine, which has unexpected arrival to attack by surprise, the Lotan Assault Machine, which is an alternately armed version of the Ketos, having a particle beamer and shock maw instead of the Ketos' etheric lance and sturgenium agitator. The Newton Void Engine Cruiser has the interesting ability to teleport a unit or even move a unit to reserve, and you can use it on either friendly or enemy units. This is a very powerful ability, but it does require a die roll to determine the effect. There's also the Quintillion Bombardment Cruiser, Tacitus Assault Cruiser, and the Vesalius Visitor Surgical Ship, which, like the Descartes, has Surgical Harbor and is basically a light two-whale carrier, analogous to the support carriers of other factions. 
I feel like overall the Enlightened has gotten the biggest shakeup of any of the factions. It's going to take a little while to get used to these changes and how they play on table, but they really seem to have gotten some amazing technologies, and they're going to be very interesting to play with. Finally, let's talk about the new theme battle fleets for the Enlightened. First up is the Archimedes Battle Fleet. You must include one flagship unit with the Archimedes class trait. You also must include an Antarctica, Tacitus, or Ulysses class unit. And you can include up to two further units with the Enlightened trait if you want. You may not include more than one of any unit except for the Antarctica, Tacitus, or Ulysses classes. What you get for this is a command reroll and one more additional reroll for each maximum sized unit of Antarctica, Tacitus, or Ulysses. So that could be several, but you are paying a lot of points for them. Next is the Descartes Battle Fleet. You must include one flagship with the Descartes trait, and you must include a Loveless unit. Doesn't seem like too big of an issue there, as they're pretty popular. You may include up to a further three units with the Enlightened trait, and not more than two of any unit except the Lovelace or Vesalius classes. The bonus you get for this is a Fissiter Ambush, and if this battle fleet includes three units in addition to the flagship, you get plus two Fissiter SRS tokens in your ambush instead of the usual plus one. The Hypatia battle fleet requires, of course, a Hypatia-class flagship. You must include a Loveless or Tacitus unit, and up to a further three units with the Enlightened trait and generators. You may not include more than two of any unit. If you do, this gives you a command reroll, a visitor ambush, and if this battle fleet includes three max size units with generators, in addition to the flagship, then the Hypatia's generators have any point costs reduced to zero. And then the final theme, the Autonomous Research Battle Fleet. It requires one of any flagship you want, you must include a Vesalius, Newton, or Claudius unit, your choice. You must include a unit with the Enlightened and Automata traits. And you may include up to a further three units with the Enlightened and Automata traits. But you may not include more than one of any unit. The bonuses you get for this is the Command Reroll, Visitor Ambush, and if this battle fleet includes at least three automata units, then their mechanical soul special rule also applies to chaos and disarray results. Just as the Enlightened seems to break the mold a little bit in terms of technology and ship types, they have some fairly unusual battle fleets here as well, breaking some of the assumptions about how most of the battle fleets in the game look. Okay, so I just wanted to do a really quick recap about what special abilities go with what factions with regards to SRS. There's a little pocket guide, if you will. As each ability gets named for the first time, I will define what it does and then just say the name. So the Sultanate gets Combat Air Patrol. That's the one where you can start with a long-range sortie on your card. They get Launch Catapults. That's the one where you get 23 inches instead of 20 inches. And they get Maritime Patrol, that's where it's easier to hit submerged models if you have a friendly SRS near it. 
The Latin Alliance gets combat air patrol, launch catapults, maritime patrol, and they already had defensive pilots. That's where if you have friendly SRS tokens on one of your own models, it gives them extra ADV and SDV. Crown gets combat air patrol, tally-ho, which lets you scramble 10 inches instead of 5, and a little bit of maritime patrol. It's not on very many models. Union gets combat air patrol, launch catapults, and spotter, which makes your rockets more effective if you have SRS tokens within 3 inches of the target. Empire gets combat air patrol and a bit of a mix, a little bit of spotter and a little bit of maritime patrol. The Imperium gets combat air patrol, spotter, some maritime patrol, and no SRS reduction in the Templehof theme. Commonwealth gets combat air patrol, the ability to reroll blanks with their SRS, a small amount of maritime patrol, spotter on just the Acronoplan, and no SRS reduction for Pravdas when fielded in the Moseski theme. And then finally, the Enlightened don't use SRS planes, they just have the whales. So none of this really seems to apply to them. Now, as I was working on recording and editing this episode, just this morning, War Cradle has made some additional announcements. For the August releases, they're going to be coming out with the Crown Battle Fleet. So good news for fans of the Crown. They're going to be coming out with an island terrain pack that looks very interesting. It includes a variety of small islands, and some of them have turret slots where you can mount a a turret in there if you want to customize them to a particular faction or possibly have some sort of scenario where they're part of the defense. I think it'd be really cool if they had some rules in the box for a new scenario that made use of those, but uh, there hasn't been any mention of that kind of thing. Now, speaking with Stuart from War Cradle, The intention with these sets is to act as what he calls scatter terrain for dystopian wars. So they're not intended to be like your main islands or something like that. More, they're going to be small islands, things that you maneuver around, but aren't necessarily big enough to provide total cover to your ships to hide behind them. The smaller bits are also intended to dress up your plane islands that you've probably made out of insulation foam or something like that. So by putting these small bits on there, you can decorate the islands and give them a more steampunk look or add some weapons or something like that. This kind of makes sense because if you put a real full-size island in the box, that would pretty much be the entire box right there. And it's hard to find a price point where it makes sense to do that. But the big news, and sorry this only applies for Imperium players, they're going to be coming out with an Ice Maiden box. Now, this is not going to be a small box. This is going to be the same size as the two-player starter, and it's pretty much an entire fleet in a single box. So what you're getting, you've got your Ice Maiden, which can be built as three different varieties of Ice Maiden, by the way. So you've got some good flexibility there. And I'm assuming that you'll be able to easily swap it between the different kinds because that's generally how Imperium rolls. In addition to that, it has three sprues, of the frontline squadron and three sprues of the support squadron. So that means you're going to be able to make six different cruisers and 12 frigates out of it. If you're just starting to get into the game and you want to play Imperium, this seems like a tremendous value. Keep in mind too that while I'm kind of saying that you get three of this sprue and three of that sprue, because Imperium cruisers are so modular, 
If you have leftover parts from other boxes that you've already bought, you can probably just build these as whatever you want. It's going to be a pretty good deal. The only potential drawback is if you already have a pretty good-sized Imperium collection, and then you may be thinking, what am I going to do with all these extra ships? Even there, though, you may be able to carry these cruiser hulls forward and one day turn them into another kind of cruiser that isn't even out yet. One more bit of news before we close this episode. I've just received a package in the mail from War Cradle, including two sprues of the new Union ships. And I've gone ahead, snipped out the parts, and started building these and wanted to give some feedback on what I thought of them. For my first ship, I decided to build a Yorktown. This seemed like a safe bet, since we already know that the Yorktown gets a battle fleet bonus being fielded with your battleship. As usual, there are four different classes of cruiser you can build. You have the Intrepid Light Cruiser, the Lexington Heavy Cruiser, the Reliant Monitor, and the Yorktown Cruiser. There are two different front decks as usual, but only one back deck. Instead, to differentiate between the classes, there are a couple of small add-on pieces that assemble to make a rear gun. This was probably necessary to make room on the sprue for the Akron Observation Rotor, which is a nice little one-piece model. Anyway, the Yorktown went together without much trouble. You've got kind of a box structure with front, back, two sides. There will be a rear cap, and the prow is in two different pieces, as usual. Take care that there's both a long and short one, so get the right piece for the type of ship that you're making. What I found to be the trickiest part of the build was when you put the top piece on. You're putting a top and a sort of a back top on together, and it's a little tricky to get them to line up right and not try to fall down inside the box, but it's really not too bad. There is a bit of a trick when you try to put together the Farragut-class frigate. The picture shows you placing the deck piece, 34-35, on top of the frigate. And while that's where it goes, that is not at all how it gets there. What you need to do is take the front piece of the frigate and put it through the hole of the deck so that it comes up from underneath and you'll get a good fit that way. Thought I might just save you a few moments of confusion by letting you know about that. Now getting back to the Akron Observation Rotor, something that I really liked is that the set comes with transparent sprue containing the flight stands for the Akron Observation Rotor. There are actually four different kinds of stands, and you get two of each. There's a short curved, medium curved, tall curved, and a straight stand. So this allows you to customize your Akron to the height and kind of the the angle of flight that you want. The joint on the bottom of the Akron is kind of a ball-type joint, so you definitely have some room to adjust the angle there, whether you want to put a magnet in there or glue it, but if you want it to tilt a little bit right or left, or be pointed a little more flat or a little more down, it should be pretty easy to do. I've also posted some pictures of the ships that I've assembled so far. There's one Yorktown and one Farragut. Those are up on the Sturgenium Lounge if you want to check those out. And I'll be posting additional pictures once I get these painted. That's all I have for today. Because there have been so many changes uh, in this full wave of Orbats, I would like to go into more discussion of the details of each ships and comparisons. 
but it's too much data for me to get done in this time frame, and I wanted to get this out while the information is fresh. So I am going to be planning to try and cover some of that in the next episode, where we'll discuss the new ships, how they fit into the existing fleets, and maybe talking a little bit about which ones that I like best or find less attractive. We'll see how it goes. Thank you, and I hope to see you again in the next episode of the Dystopian Academy podcast.